everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on the Picture Books to Gang podcast. I am Corey. My pronouns are she or they, and I am a host flying solo today. Ale and Kelly will not be joining us, unfortunately. They are off living other busy, exciting lives, but get excited because I have two amazing guests today. I am so thrilled to be able to introduce you to both of them. One of them is a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Rabia Kokar. And then the other one is the incredibly impressive and illustrious author, Hannah Khan. Hello, welcome, both of you. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. So I thought that I would open by a little bit of information about Hannah in case anybody is unsure. Although I'm sure once I start listing off the book she's written, everybody will recognize it. And then Rabia is also going to tell us a little bit about herself as well. So Hannah Khan is a Pakistani-American Muslim author who was born and raised in Maryland. She enjoys sharing and writing about her culture and religion. She is the author of middle grade novels, Amina's Voice, Amina's Song, More to the Story, and the book Zara's Rules for Record-Breaking Fun is coming out in April. She's also written the picture books Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns, Under My Hijab, and It's Ramadan, Curious George. You can learn more about Hannah and her books by visiting her website and Instagram, which will be linked in the show notes. So make sure you check those out. And so, Rabia, what can you tell our lovely listeners about yourself? Well, it's an honor to be here with you both. I'm an elementary teacher in Toronto. I'm also a first-year PhD student, and I'm very, very passionate about picture books and really using picture books like as tools for social justice education in the classroom. And I have read like every book of Hannah Khan. So I am such a fan and so starstruck to be here. So let's dive in. Hannah, we have so many questions for you, but we will play it cool. We're cool people. It's obviously true if you have to tell people it's true. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is how amazing that the Salam Reads imprint that you started through Simon & Schuster, it's celebrating it's fifth anniversary, which is so cool. How are you feeling about that? Oh, so great. Well, I should clarify that I, I didn't start the imprint, but my book launched oh, it. I'm um, so sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, I just can't take credit for it because it wasn't <laughs> my idea. But my editor, my former editor, Zareen Joffrey, came up with the idea for Salam Reads and, and pitched it to Simon Schuster, who was on board. And, and they decided that my book, Amina's Voice, would launch the imprint, which was a huge honor for me. At the time, we had been shopping the book around to different, you know, different publishers. And, and Zareen was definitely at the top of our list. And when we sold it, we didn't know about this imprint yet. So... I learned when the rest of the world learned through uh, the New York Times, I think it was. And so it was, it was a really big deal. And for me, someone who had been in publishing for a little bit, had been, you know, begging on doors, trying to get published to have this, this, you know, home for my, my work that, you know, felt like such a a safe space, a welcoming space, a place that I really believe in, in terms of what it's trying to do and really showcasing different Muslim voices that, you know, for too long weren't heard. You know, it's been it's been an honor for me to be a part of it. And I'm just so thrilled that it's still still going strong five years later and, and putting out new and exciting books. Yeah. Thank you for all that background info. I misunderstood when it said that you launched it. I was like, yeah, it's all her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just did a small everything. Part. <laughs> <laughs> so 
this imprint, I, especially now that uh, we know a little bit more of the backstory, I would love to know how this imprint impacted you and supported your passion to tell stories that center unapologetic Muslim characters. You know, you're known for creating these really powerful and memorable characters. And I would just love to know how Salam Reads impacted your writing. A lot of it had to do with feeling very well understood in terms of the types of stories I wanted to tell and why I wanted to tell them. I felt like I didn't have to explain or justify my reasoning. And I felt like Zareen and I were very much on the same page as to the types of stories we wanted to see out there and stories that weren't necessarily uh, refuting the narrative that was already out there about who Muslims are. Because we, we found that that was often happening, that people felt like they had to fight back or push back against what people might be saying or thinking. And instead, you know, having the freedom to just tell stories about families like my own, characters who aren't necessarily struggling with their identity or feeling like the biggest challenge in their life is because of who they are as either South Asians in my case, or as, you know, Muslims, as children of immigrants, whatever it was, what layers of their identity they had. And instead they could focus on just being kids and and their experiences, you know, as all their identity layers are just woven into the stories. My goal was to really create relatable, likable characters and families that people wanted to know more about and read more about and, and feel like they were a part of, just like the books I really connected with and loved when I was growing up. That's amazing. That's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'm just reflecting. I used your book, Amina's Voice, when I was teaching at a like mostly racially homogenous school community. Most of my students were racially white and they really loved the story because it was so versatile and there were so many entry points for them. And for all kids, really, those everyday universal bits that your stories have, whether it's like stage fright or friendship, family, that's really what kids connect to. And I think that's what builds bridges of understanding and when you can see yourself, but you can also learn about somebody who might be different from you. That's what my students really related to that aspect and through that like connection and that bridge building they also learned about like really big topics like Islamophobia and what happens when something terrible happens to people that you love and care about in your community. I guess that takes us kind of to the next question which is you're a really versatile writer. You've written so many different types of books like picture books, middle grade um, books and so I guess we're just interested, how do you think your writing has evolved over time? And does the local, broader, and global sociopolitical context inform or impact your writing? And you talked about this a little bit, but do you think that your writing sort of counters the Islamophobia that we see in the media? A lot of yeah. questions bundled <laughs> together, sorry. So I'll try, I'll try to remember the pieces, but in terms of how my writings evolved, I, mean, I definitely think that when I began writing for children, I was very much aware of what my children were going to encounter growing up. And at that time, the seeds of Islamophobia were, were planted and, and had, were growing. We weren't quite where we are now because <laughs> this is back in you know the early 2000s. But I did, I did see you know in a post 9/11 climate the increased curiosity about who Muslims are, you know what we believe in, you know what happens in our mosques, things like that, just basic information that people didn't have. And and then when it came to being a mother of young children, you know knowing that people had 
curiosity around our customs, traditions, holidays, things that, you know, as a kid growing up in the United States, I didn't feel like I had the chance to share in a school setting. So for me, initially, I felt like it was, I felt very much that my role in my writing was to, to inform or to teach, you know, that, hello, these are, we're Muslim. <laughs> this is, this is what we're about in a very basic way. So I started with the picture books. And then I think gradually, you know, with, with Amina's voice being my first novel, I do think the, the political climate, the social climate was in the back of my mind as I was writing it. This book came out in 2017, but I had written it four years before that and before it was actually published. Um, but I had, you know, been hearing about things like mosque vandalism, for example. So that was something I definitely did want to include in the story. For me, it wasn't central to the story in the sense that for me, Amina's journey was really about herself and her confidence and her friendships and her finding her voice. And that was just a piece of the story. And, and it was interesting that when that book was published, you know, in 2017, the world had shifted since I had written it. And there was a lot more, a lot, unfortunately, a lot more news like that in, in the news, like, you know, tragedies like moss burnings and so on. And all of a sudden that became a bigger part of the story to readers and to educators uh, to use it as a tool for having conversations that, you know, of course need to be had. But for me, you know, it was, it was a small piece and I feel like it's, it's always in the back of my mind when I'm writing. Um, but I don't want to be in your face. Like you mentioned earlier, I don't want to be apologetic in any way. It, it is for me a matter of, you know, writing the things that I, perhaps I grapple with myself and try to make sense of them, but things I know that children are thinking about and hearing and, um, trying to make sense of as I just try to grow up in as normal and, you know, happy a way as possible. Thank you for that. And I think your point about like all of these things being bits and pieces of the character's journey is so important because there tends to be a focus so much on these like different aspects and that becomes like your only story or the mm -hmm. character's only story. And I like how your character's are complete characters they're memorable and they're complete and they're true to themselves and they're given the space to grow into who they are and I think that's something that you know kids can really relate to and growing up is hard and I think kids can see themselves in in those intersectionalities that are individual but also like collective experiences absolutely yeah and I think something I've been thinking about more recently is you know wanting to give kids the space in literature where they can just, you know, feel proud of who they are and, and be excited about who they are without having to necessarily confront some of these bigger world issues or, you know, social justice issues. And I feel like it's important, obviously, for kids to, to be educated about these things and aware of them and know that they, ha they have a voice and that they can, you know, stand up against oppression of various forms and so on. But at the same time, they're kids. And I feel like they need stories to just you know, entertain themselves and to feel proud of and to feel like they're the heroes and and just see themselves reflected in a narrative that isn't necessarily about something difficult other than the regular difficulties of childhood, if that makes sense. Yeah, just stories to affirm them completely, right? Mm -hmm. Find belonging as well through them. Absolutely. Definitely. I completely understand. And I had a question for you too about drawing some parallels because we can sort of see the shift from books that solely focus on defending one person's identity or going through trauma, coming out the other side. Mm -hmm. Me personally being queer, that's, you know, what I 
notice in the media as well, because mm-hmm. like that's my lived experience, especially in the last couple of years with some of the picture books coming out that seek to show that it's okay to be queer and have same-sex parents and celebrate that joy without necessarily focusing on the trauma and dehumanization that comes along with defending your own personal identity. I am sort of wondering or interested in listening to you pontificate on the shift in literature that we Mm -hmm. see that comes right through defending one's personal identity and like personhood to then now how we can see some of these stories that celebrate the brilliance and cultural richness of a specific community. Yeah, for sure. I think that was something that I've thought about a lot and I've talked to to colleagues and other authors about it. And and I remember there was that really important piece, I think it was Deneen Milner wrote uh, for the New York Times about Black children not only need, needing to read about Harriet Tubman. And I, I felt like that was something that I had been feeling. And and when she expressed it that way, I was like, yes, this is, this is exactly what I'm thinking about. And then a dear librarian friend was talking to me about how the unintended consequence sometimes of only sharing these types of stories, whatever group it is you know, portraying can sort of evoke eventually um, a, a sense of pity maybe from, from peers and, and in the classroom. And so that was something I thought about a lot, that if I was in school today as a little henna, you know, like what type of stories would bring me joy and make me feel excited to read them. And, and definitely I would want the stories that dealt with overcoming bullying or some kind of discrimination or facing Islamophobia. And I would want to read about other groups who were overcoming struggles as well. I, I definitely, just knowing who I am, would, would want those stories. But I definitely feel like there there is a need and a, like, children deserve to just have fun in, in stories and to feel like they don't have to be a lesson for someone else, you know, like them or different from them, you know, and that if it is just about, you know, whatever is, whether it's following your passion or owning up a mistake, dealing with a big change in life, or just these very fundamental things that children have to go through, just deciding what you're good at or whatever it is. I think it's fun to read about stories that, you know, just don't have that, that weight. So that is something where I feel like I definitely have pieces of in my books, especially my longer middle grade fiction, for example, more to the story, my character Jamila is, it's a, it's a, inspired by little women's story, she touches on and deals with that concept of microaggressions as a journal, a budding journalist in middle school. And that was something that, you know, I was grappling with and learning about when I was writing the book and realizing how valuable it was for me as a person to, to have a term for all those things that have been bothering me over the years. And so that was something that made its way into the book, but it wasn't like the theme of the whole entire book. Um, and so that's where I feel like I'm trying to balance that need or sense of wanting to teach or wanting to, you know, shove things down people's throats and then <laughs> remembering what I would want to read as a child or what I, w- what I want out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Because it definitely makes for a more nuanced and multifaceted character, if not everything is perfect all the time. But you're exactly right. I love how you phrased it of you know, somebody isn't a lesson for somebody else, which if we want to draw in parallels from the real world, historically Black History Month, you know, mm-hmm. that's how it's very much been celebrated. Mm-hmm. Now we're sad for 28 days and then right. we forget about it. I've seen so many good points about folks being like, but enslavement isn't Black history, it's white history. So mm-hmm. February should be a time 
to look to the future and celebrate. And I just love that concept being infused into literature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even more recent history, you know, since the civil rights movement, Mm -hmm. because that was what it was like for me as a kid. And fine, when I was little, (laughs) it was more recent than it is now, but even still, you know, so much has happened since then that, you know, people who are worthy of being, you know, heroes, more modern heroes and, and other things to celebrate and look to. And I think it's so powerful to be able to look to, to a person that is here and now that is, you could even become inspired and like have a class, write letters to, and mm-hmm. incorporating more contemporary figures, I think is a very, I wish I had like a nice way to describe it. I just think it's respectful you know, to like recognize the amazing work that people are doing while still honoring the past because the past is why we have these amazing folks here doing all sorts of things. I would agree. I think it's really important that we think critically about who's supposed to teach who. And if we think that children or particular children of different identities are like supposed to be lessons, I wonder what the impact of that is. Like, if you are that child in that classroom, then is everyone going to be looking at you? And, you know, in my experience, I have been that child, you know, where the questions are coming to you and you're just like, you're like nine years old and you have to answer all of these really tough questions. And so I think your book provide multiple entry points for kids of different identities to just I think like affirm all of those universal experiences of being a child, but also learn about people of different identities and some things that are important for them, some things that might be different from them. And I think that's kind of where the solidarity is, where I can kind of, I see myself in you. And I think that's really important to build that like relationship. And I see myself in you, like I see similarities, but I also see differences. Mm -hmm. And then how can we honor those and still respect those. And I think, you know, that goes into kind of our next question, which is um, one of the really beautiful running themes in your work is um, the interconnections between people and communities. And when I've read um, your books to my students, that's something that they really pick up on. And that's something that they really see that they have a place to kind of like make a difference, whether it's just to be somebody's friend or it's just to see like somebody else's humanity through things that are similar to them or things that might be different for them. You know, my students really, really like love that running theme. Your work really shows how people of different identities and communities can kind of come together, foster relationships and really work towards a common goal. And that common goal is contextual and it might be different based on whatever we're trying to work towards, whether it's if we're trying to improve something or you know, whatever we're trying to do. And so I guess I'm just interested in hearing, like, can you talk about like your process and how, you know, the things that are happening in your books can kind of mirror and help young people do this work in their real life, build those relationships and solidarities and community? Yeah. Oh, I I love that you said that because that's something that I, I hadn't considered, but now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh, maybe I see, I see what you're saying, but that's really, really nice to hear. I think for me, you know, my, my community, I think maybe for me also being a child of immigrants and, you know, who were very much, you know, held on to their culture for them, community was essential. And I think in a neighborhood that I still live very close to, so I haven't moved very far in my entire life. So even I I still visit that neighborhood daily because my mom still lives there. And so I think that sense of 
you know, belonging is, is something that's really important to me, but also in terms of exploring what it means to be part of a community. I think, you know, whether it is aspirational, when I wrote Amina's voice, the response of the community to what happens at the mosque was very aspirational in my mind, based on memories of, of what had happened in my community years ago when I was a child, when synagogues were defiled, and remembering the outcry and the support of the community. And I thought, well, if something like that were to happen to the Muslim community, I would hope for the same unity and stepping up. And so, and, and of course, thankfully, we have seen that in the aftermath of tragedies. Um, and more to the story in terms of process, I have a, a neighbor whose, whose daughter went through treatment and and fundraising actually as a result of her remission for Hodgkin's lymphoma and I you know I was a witness to that and she not only helped me with understanding what it was like to go through that for my character Bisma and more to the story but also what's involved in terms of being a, a big fundraiser for Light the Night and for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society so that went into the story um, you know my son and I were part of a refugee resettlement organization here that was setting up apartments for newly arrived refugee families. And that went into Amina's song. So I definitely do draw from actual experiences, but also I think I'm attracted to the stories of people who are making a difference and, and children specifically who are, are doing things because they're all around us, these kids who, who do get involved and not because it's a, you know, a requirement necessarily for school, but who, you know, who mm -hmm. just step up and do things because they care. I love that. And oftentimes the message is so much kids have to kind of like grow up and then create a change, or we have to wait until we're a certain age and then we can make an impact. And I think your books really show that kids of all ages or people of all ages through their actions, whether they're individual actions or systemic actions really can make a difference. And those differences have an impact on their local community as well as their broader community. And I just love the fact that we're inspiring like kids to think critically about their context and also consider like what they can do to make things better, whatever that goal is. So that's, that's something that's really close to my heart. And I think your books really sort of provide blueprints for communities or kids to think and look like this is kind of how it happened in the book. Maybe this is something that we can do in our community. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I, and I also think it's important to give kids a variety of examples of things, you know, big and small. So it can be at an organizational level where you're part of an effort, you know, that involves a community or a group or whatever it is, but then also on the very individual level, you know, just having a conversation or giving a school presentation or just little things that you can do, you know, donating your time to help someone like one particular individual, like all of those things can, can make a small difference too. So like you said, it doesn't feel like overwhelming, like, oh, I must have you know, this grand you know, gesture or time or commitment to something as, as a child who may not have resources or access to all of those things. I think just expanding the idea of how to create change is important for kids because you're right, like oftentimes the examples that were shown are very like, can be like super big. And I think it's important to show a variety so that kids also like learn that, you know, there's different ways to contribute and like, where do I fit in? I think that's important for kids, you know, just to have those ideas. And once we present them with ideas, I, I feel like they always get more and more ideas. Like they're super creative, I think. Absolutely. And something else, it was a big theme in Amina's song, but the fact that you don't have to have all the answers. 
you know, and that as a kid, the world is confusing and you do hear conflicting things. And sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't make sense and that's okay. Like you have to wrestle with that. And, you know, the idea I, I, for that book, I really thought about the single story and the, the danger of the single story and what we're, what we're absorbing and what we're learning about each other and um, the messages we get. And, and those, that can be, I mean, we, we see it now, we see it every day and like how hard that is as, as adults to grapple with. So I think for kids, I wanted that, that to be a part of the book where you, you know, in that, in this book in particular, Amina's wrestling with that and just to, to show that it, it's okay to, to not feel like, you know, exactly what's going on. Cause so many of us still don't feel like we do. Yeah. And I think just to be honest about that with kids is powerful too, because oftentimes, you know, there are those ideas that like, you know, when you're an adult, everything makes sense. And it's like, no, it just gets more confusing. <laughs> be we just get better about hiding our confusion. I think <laughs> I'm definitely still just as confused. <laughs> yeah. And I feel a little bit betrayed, you know, cause you're like, oh, if I had known adulthood is just full of more not knowing then yeah. would have prepared me. Yeah. I think we pretend so that they think that we, you know, we're authorities. <laughs> they knew, hey, well, you don't know any more than I do. Why do I have to listen to you? Uh, there's a fine line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there are just so many authors and illustrators doing amazing work. So Rabia and I really wanted to ask you uh, who you are looking forward to reading and learning from this year that have upcoming releases or just books that have been released previously, but that you're excited to read this year. Oh yeah. So I've got a bunch right behind me on my bookshelf that are on my TBR or books that I recently read. And, you know, I tend to read a lot of middle grade fiction since that's what my that's where my heart is <laughs> so it's 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 a huge list but gosh in terms of authors with upcoming w- books I'm really excited to read Sabah Tahir's All My Rage which um, is YA actually I don't read a ton of YA but I'm really excited for that um, I have Aisha Sayed's Omar Rising which is next I just finished actually an advanced copy of a book by Malik Ponchali his second I loved his debut the best at it if you if you haven't read it it's brilliant and oh my goodness there's just so many Reem Faruqi has a new a new one coming out called Golden Girl Um, I feel like Golden Girl that's a really recent release I think that was maybe just out like last week or something so people should definitely get on it yeah and it's such a great theme I haven't gotten my copy yet but the idea of, you know, just kleptomania. I haven't read it. I was always fascinated by that as a kid. So <laughs> I'm curious to see yeah, how she handles that. And I really loved Unsettled. I thought that was beautifully done. I really enjoyed Sophia Costa Makes a Scene by Emma Teggy. Um, that also just came out recently if you're looking for another good read. Gosh, there's so many. I could just go on and on. <laughs> there's so many authors who, who I admire. Karina Yang Glazer has a new, a new book coming out. I love her Vanderbeeker series, but she has a, a standalone. I love Renee Watson's books. So her Ways to Make Sunshine series, the Ryan Hart series, was something that I was thinking about a lot when I was writing Zara, when I was coming up with the idea for the Zara, Zara's Rule series, because Renee mentioned how the Ryan Hart series, not only based on her niece, but also inspired by Ramona Quimby. And for me, Ramona Quimby was the ultimate growing up. I just adored her and her antics and her neighborhood and her community, speaking of community. And, and that was something that I really wanted to you know, kind of recreate in in a book of mine. I love the Reinhardt series and I'm looking forward to the next installment of that as well. 
I also just got Rima's Rebellion by Margarita Engel, which just came out recently. I haven't started it yet, though. It's just staring at me from the bookshelf right now. (laughs) But it's all about a Cuban-American girl protesting for the suffragette movement in the 1920s. I don't know if she's in the U.S. or in Cuba. That's as far as I've gotten. Like I said, staring at me from the bookshelf, but that one sounds really good too. There's so many beautiful books these days. I'm interested, you know, your book comes out really soon, Zara's Rules for Record-Breaking Fun. Is there something that you're like most interested in, folks learning or reading from this or, you know, taking a message from the book? Like, what are you most excited about, I guess? I guess for me, you know, what I what I really hope is that readers will just be excited about this book and, you know, lose themselves in it. Because that those are the types of stories I loved as a kid where you just felt like you were there in in the moment with these characters, feeling their feelings and, you know, feeling their pain and their joy and all of it. And and I feel like these books are lighter, I guess, than than my middle grade, um, which I don't think is super heavy either, but these these definitely have a, a more humorous and and lighter feel. They're quicker reads, so it's early middle grade. And I just feel like each book, even though Zara is growing and changing and realizing things in each of the books, um, you know, at the same time, there's just a lot of a lot of silliness. And for me, it was it was fun to explore a character too who isn't a specialist. I don't know what to call it, but like a lot of a lot of books we see with middle grade characters, you know, they're very formed children, or they're very even my own. Like you know, Amina, um, you know, she's growing and struggling. She she has this passion for music and and for singing. And in Zade the Zade series, he's very into basketball and you know has this basketball dream. And Zara is sort of you know, not like that. <laughs> she has a bunch of interests and we I established it in the Zade series because she's Zade's older sister in that in that book, uh, where she's sort of a quitter, you know, or she's or that's how he presents her that, you know, well, she quits everything and she's allowed to. So why am I not able to? And he lists this, you know, random assortment of things that she had done and, and failed at or, or given up. And so I love that idea of a, of a kid who's not necessarily singularly focused and driven, and no, but just sort of out there being a kid and trying different things. And so for me, that I hope other kids will, you know, whether they're passionate about one thing or many things too, will will find that refreshing that she's just sort of, you know, having a good time trying to figure herself out and what she loves. Absolutely. I also think it's so important to push back on that narrative that kids know what they want to be when they grow up and Mm -hmm. that it is never going to change. And it is a well-known fact, you know, Mm -hmm. how many times have we all been asked that? So I love the idea that there's a role model for the kids who don't know. (laughs) Or just don't have like some one particular thing that they're, or even, you know, I feel like compared to when we were kids too, um, you know, kids are tend to be so much more scheduled and, you know, informal training for something, uh, whether it's art or music or sports or whatever it is whereas you know when I was out we were just on the street you know playing so that for me I think writing these books I was writing them during the pandemic and I felt like it was really cathartic for me to go and nostalgic for me to go back to my childhood and and just the the neighborhood games and a lot of it I took out of my own experiences growing up so the neighborhood the family that lives across the street a Jewish American family that moves in is modeled after some of my dearest friends who I grew up with and and some of the we were joking because they were asking me recently you know did you put this in and did you put that in and like they were listing all these things I was like I couldn't put everything but you know the hula hooping that you see on the cover of the book is is something that I lifted straight from 
from our lives and trying to break a Guinness world record. <laughs> and, um, so, so that was fun for me just to think about kids today. And especially when they were, when they were trapped indoors, um, or, you know, didn't have school, but a lot, I did see many more kids outside than I had in so long. And in a way it was kind of nice to see them just organizing mm -hmm. themselves and playing in a way that I don't think they always had the chance to. So that was important for me too. And I just felt like it was, it was fun for me to write about. I think that's so important what you're saying, like how scheduled or how routine based everything is in our lives. I think it's refreshing to sort of pause and think differently and, and, and show and highlight and center stories that show us in different ways, doing different things and engaging in different ways. Right. I'm really excited to read your book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Can't wait either. It's, we have copies on the way. So <laughs> both of us will be reading furiously. And I hate to be the one that has to wrap this up, but this is me wrapping it up. And <laughs> to, first of all, just say thank you so much, Hannah, for coming and answering our questions. It's been a dream listening to you. And of course, you know, you're a beautiful writer and I am so excited to read more of your work, but it was like, you know, nice having you in my ear holes for a little bit. <laughs> it's an honor. I, yeah. Such an honor. Yes. That's the perfect way. And where can people connect with you? Can you share your social media platforms? These will all be in the show notes along with a pre-order link to Zara's Wolves for record-breaking fun. So oh, fear not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I would love, uh, you can connect with me through um, my website, which is just hannahfans.com. And I've got a lot of content on there, actually. Recently, I had a friend redo it for me. And so there's a lot of videos and different stuff for educators and kids and resources there. So please check that out. And if you want more timely, up-to-date stuff, you can check me out on um, Instagram, Twitter, at hannahfansbooks. And I believe it's the same on Facebook as well. And I'm not super active on Facebook. but um, yeah, Han books. If you want to connect with me, and I'd love to hear from you. My favorite thing to hear from from readers and people actually consuming what I create. Nice. Well, I work part time at a book shop, and the owner today was very excited, and she wanted me to make sure that I told you how revolutionary oh. under my hijab has been for Thank all you. of the preschoolers in the area. Yeah, we have. Uh, some really cool like outdoor nature preschool programs where I live in Massachusetts and friends with a handful of the teachers and really they love that one in particular. Oh, thank you. So thank you. That's lovely to hear. I said that I would pass along that message. So oh. shout out to Lexi at High Five Books. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, friends. Yeah. You know, well, I guess we Here's the awkward goodbye? time. Yeah, where we say thank you so much and we will talk to you later. Thank Bye. you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure.